0: let's uh let's come to god in prayer as we kind of open ourselves to him and ask that the spirit of god may actually speak into our own lives as we come so let's pray Father, we come to uh, encounter you and engage with you. And Father, as we come tonight, we come with many things upon our minds and uh, there are many things in our lives, Father, that we actually want to see in the light of yourself. And as, Father, as we continue our study here in this book of Romans and particularly here in chapter 12, we pray that you might reveal your truth to us, <laughs> uh, that it is your spirit that speaks into to our lives and that, Father, that we will seek to uh, embrace it as we embrace you as part of our lives and go out and live for you, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sports uh, been a pretty big part of uh, my life over the years, right from the days when I was uh, at school and uh, through afterwards, uh, right up and in fact to today. Uh, when I was, um, uh, when I finished school, uh, uh, I actually became a PE teacher uh, for a period of time before I came into ministry. And when Judy and I got married, uh, I was actually playing, playing five different sports a week, uh, such that I was so much into it and had, uh, so much involved with it. I did cut back uh, for three at that point of time, but continued to involved in sport in many different ways. And my involvement in sport comes at a number of different levels. Uh, I've played, of course, a number of different sports. I was a referee or an umpire, and a number of others. Uh, I was also uh, involved uh, as a coach in a number of occasions, particularly uh with school school children. Uh, and then um, also involved in administration and uh, and management in terms of sport. However, the, in more recent years, uh, I've actually been involved in sports chaplaincy, so that in fact. This year is my 27th season as the chaplain of the Canterbury Bulldogs. So you can imagine the journey and so forth has been with that in the last uh, 27 years. But over my involvement with sport, I tend to... I have more inclination towards team sport than I have towards individual sports. And so most of the sports that I've played is, uh, has more to do with uh, teams, and I've learnt a lot about what it means to actually work in team and work together in teams from some of those sports that I've been part of, and even particularly these last 20 uh, so years I've been involved with the Bulldogs. You see, it's not just the team that's on the field that actually wins games. There are many others who are part of the team as well. You know, there are coaches, there are administrators, there are medical people, there are sports scientists, there are psychologists, there are welfare officers, there are marketing people, promotion people, and so on. So there's, there is a whole range of other people that are involved in a team performance out onto the field. And with team sports... One of the key things is that each player or each person who's involved gets to know their position or where their strength is so that they know what contribution they actually make to the team. And while there are some people who can play a number of different positions or a number of roles, never at once, uh, often it is one area of strength for most players where they are best used or not only players, but other people who are part of the team as well. And knowing your strengths and knowing the part that you play and you contribute to the common goal, or the common purpose of the team is really, really important. I've also discovered over time that a team of people who see themselves as equally and all their teammates as equally important to the team are the teams that are more likely to be successful than the teams that are made up of people who may be all champions but actually don't work together as a team. So those who actually are committed to one another and working together as a unit will usually have a better outcome than when you have got one or two stars and you build everything around them. At times, a player might be injured or someone needs... um, uh, or the club might be a lack of strength in a particular area, and there may be others that are called upon to cover that for a period of time. But it is working out where you best make a contribution. One of the things that we had in, 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 in the years I've been with the dogs it was a period of time where we were doing really well, and then uh, we had a few years we were pretty lean, a bit like recent years. But we had a few years where things were going a bit a, a bit lean. But when we went back and did a bit of analysis and a study of the kind of culture we had in the years that we were doing really, really well. And they weren't the years that we necessarily had the top players in the competition. But there were a number of things, a number of things about, <coughs> about our culture that really impacted the way that we actually uh, met together and played together and worked together. For example, one of the key things that we did was that if somebody made an, an error, if a mistake was made on the field or elsewhere... We owned it. It was, we made a mistake. Let's work towards not making it again. So rather than putting the blame on a particular individual, we owned it collectively, together. Um, And, uh, in fact, one of our rules for many, many years uh, in our culture was that if someone made a mistake and, and somebody else came along and gave it to them and kind of want to have a shot at them because of the error they made, the person who made the shot is the one who's most likely not playing next week because he was undermining the team. We weren't working together collectively. Back in the 2000s, sometime, I can't remember what year it was, but uh, the coach at the time, Steve Folks, uh, and I did an an analysis. We were going through a lean time for a few lean seasons, and we looked back over the team and the team's functioning, and we came across a surprising statistic. We discovered that the years... Well, the seasons where we made the least amount of mistakes was when we came lowest on the table. And when we thought about that, reflected and looked at it a little bit more closely, rugby league's a fairly simple game. But most of the errors occur around the passing and the catching of the ball. And what we discovered is that we weren't taking any risks. We were playing so safe that when you got the ball, you put it under your arm, you try to charge for a brick wall no matter how hard you went, you didn't make any ground. So in fact, we made very little ground those years because we weren't prepared to actually trust each other. We played for ourselves rather than play for the team. And when you only played for yourself, you made no progress. When you played for the team and the team played for each other, we made errors, we made mistakes, we took risks, but we learnt from them. And as the year went on, we got, we learnt to work better and better and better together. And so we changed some of the way that we played the game. We wanted to play football rather than just play one out running up. Now, while there are references in the scriptures to sport, mainly about setting goals, mainly about uh, striving forward and and things like that. They didn't have team sports. It tended to be more individual sports and uh, rather than the team sports. But the Apostle Paul uses this analogy about being the body in a similar way. It's a similar kind of concept, a metaphor of what it actually means to be a community together what it means to be a body together, what it actually means to be a team together. In the first couple of verses of chapter 12 of Romans, verse 2 particularly talks about being transformed or being transformed by having our minds renewed. And then the rest of the chapter... Paul explains specifically what it means to have your thinking changed. And that is what we will be doing together for the next six weeks in our services here. What does it actually mean to have our, our minds transformed and to have our thinking changed? We were reminded uh, by Luke a couple of weeks ago about the fact that uh, this transformation of the mind and the subsequent changes and growth in our behaviour follows on from those of us who actually are embraced by the love and the grace and the mercy of God that Paul speaks of in the earlier part of the book of Romans. And so in referring to our, our uh, minds being renewed, Paul starts here in these verses that we're looking at tonight with looking at ourselves because, that, friends, that's where God starts. He doesn't want us to be changing others without being open to ourselves being changed by the Spirit of God. He's not wanting us to focus on others when, firstly, we need to be open to the change that God will bring about in our own lives. And so in verses 3 to 8, he's telling us two things, firstly, about Thinking about ourselves, firstly, what to think about who we are and then what to think about the gifts that God has given to us. For by grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think, he says, of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. So Paul's saying, first of all, I want you to think about yourselves before you actually start thinking about the gifts that God has given to you. And while there is a danger that some of us may overrate ourselves, there is a danger that sometimes we we like to think of ourselves too highly or we over-evaluate our capacity or our giftedness or our abilities. Australians, culturally, sometimes we have a tendency to do the opposite. We tend to play down what we are able to do and be, particularly as the children of God. And in both instances, whether we overrate ourselves or we underrate ourselves is a sense of a form of pride because we don't have a clear understanding of who we are in Jesus. And so Paul indicates, that there's a proper way to evaluate ourselves. And that's seeing ourselves as God sees us. How how does God view each one of us? How, How do we think about ourselves? Well, firstly, Paul calls us to think soberly about ourselves. And the point he's wanting to make here is that on our own, our own judgments often can't be trusted. You know, we all have thoughts and we have attitudes and we have temptations in our lives that often get distorted and are influenced by other things and what other people say and the culture and society around us. And they're always going to be there, so we have to be cautious. But he then says to think with the measure of faith that God has given to you. That is, look back over all that God has told you about what has happened since you have come to know Jesus because the degree that you accept what God has said that he is making and doing to you and the change he's bringing about in you ought to give you confidence and courage and, uh, and a, an ability to function in any circumstance in any day with any task that God gives us. And you have that courage and you have that ability according to how much you believe God has said. And what has God said about you? Well, just looking back to the early chapters of uh, of Romans, which we were reminded of a couple of weeks ago, we're told that we are, when we come to faith in Jesus, we are tied, we are connected to Christ himself. We're in relationship with him. We're told that he lives... With us and his power is available to us. We are told that the Holy Spirit has come to enable us to say no to all the evil forces and temptations that we come across and the sins that does not have to have dominion over us. We're not under law but we're under grace. And while we need to be on our guard against evil, we can win because of the grace of God. It's the degree that you believe that. In summary, there are three things that I believe that we should remind ourselves every morning when we get up and as we begin a new day. We need to remind ourselves that firstly, I am made in the image of God. We need to remind ourselves that we have the capacity within us given to us by God himself the ability to react and personally relate to God. And secondly, I need to remind myself each day that I am filled with the spirit of God. Though I don't deserve it in the least degree, I have the power of God at work within me. And I have become, or we have become in one sense, the bearer of God, of God himself. And he is willing to work within us. And the third thing I need to remind myself each day is that I'm a part of the plan of God. That God is working out things to a great and final purpose in this earth and I'm going to be part of it because God has chosen and called me to be part of his great plan. So that what I do today has purpose and it has significance and it has meaning. It isn't a meaningless thing that I'm going to go through. And even if it might be the smallest incident or the most apparently insignificant word or relationship is involved, I am involved in that great plan. Therefore, it all has meaning and purpose. So that means that whatever God calls me to do, whatever God has given me in terms of tasks or gifts, Everything, anything that God is asking of me, we ought to be able to have the confidence to do what God is asking us without being conceited. All of us need can have a sense of being able to cope, of being able to handle life. I don't deserve this gift of worth and grace, but I have it because God's given it to me. Therefore, I can't be conceited because he gave it to me. But I can be confident with what God's given me. That's what Paul's saying here. Nothing can set set us up for life and ministry like this. And so Paul moves from there to our life both in the church and outside, and he takes up the subject of the gifts that God has given to us. For just as each of us is one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. I I find that as a beautiful picture of the church. I don't know what you think about the church I'm sure that all of us have grown up in different kind of uh, backgrounds and experiences in churches, and I'm sure all of us have come some kind of mental picture of what we think the church ought to look like. It's here that we often need our thinking changed, or to be renewed in our minds. And here, Paul uses the analogy of the human body to describe us as the church. He's speaking of one body. Not two. He's speaking of only one church. And all Christians belong to it. And it doesn't matter whether we have a denominational label or not. If we are born of the spirit of God, then we are members of that church. And whenever we meet and wherever we meet, we already belong to one another. Whether you're his name on any role or not. There's only one church, one body. And we need to live that out. And as each looks at our own bodies, we know we've made up of various parts, diverse members. It isn't a trunk only. We have arms and legs and toes and fingers and ears. And eyes, and other interesting parts. But they're all there for a purpose. They're all part of the body. They all belong to the body. And so it is with us as the church. And as the Christian church has many parts, and many members, many parts are different from one another. In fact, that's what I greatly love about the church. It's diversity. The diversity of its members, which is in so contrary to the spirit of our age that seeks conformity when people are pressured to, to look and to talk and to act and to think alike. But that isn't God's idea of the church. His idea is to have diversity within his church. And there are many members, and we aren't all meant to be the same. And for me, that's the joy of it. That's the richness of it. We don't have to be of the same backgrounds, the same social status, the same ethnicity or the same colour. We don't have to have even the same gifts. In fact, a true church is one where people are beginning to recognise that diversity and rejoice in it and embrace it. And yet Paul says, though these members don't have the same function, each of them belong to each other. We belong to one another. We share with one another. We are to care for one another. We are to be brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you hurt, (coughs) I hurt, (coughs) whether you know it or not. And if you are honoured, then I'm honoured, whether you know it or not. And we'll expand on that in the coming weeks. But Paul goes on here to indicate that God has given us gifts to determine our function within the body. We have different gifts, he says in verses 6 to 8, according to the grace given to us. If a person's gift is prophesying, then let him use it in proportion to their faith. If it is serving, let them serve. If it is teaching, let them teach. If it is encouraging, let them encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let them give generously. If it is leadership, then let them govern govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let them do it cheerfully. These are only a sample of gifts. You'll find many others mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Peter 4 and Ephesians 2. And they're not meant to be a full and complete list. It's just that the point that Paul is making is that God has given gifts. Paul here calls them graces. And we all have different gifts according to the specific gift of grace that's been given to us. And I like that term. Because it indicates something about it. Something that is graceful is a delight to watch. And this is true of people exercising their spiritual gifts. A gift is an ability that God has given you because he wants you to function in a particular way. It isn't something difficult or painful to do. It is something you delight in doing. And you improve and you grow as you practice it. I mean, imagine what it would be like if, or, or how hurt you would be if you had carefully chosen or lovingly made and prepared a gift for your own children, for those who have children, and wrapped them up in, in beautiful packages and you put them under, say, the Christmas tree and then you handed them to your children uh, on that day and they just took the gift and they throw it away. what if they said thank you, but never bothered to even open to see what it was? Can you imagine how our Lord must feel? Having given us gifts to use, when we never even bother to take the trouble to find out what they are, or never put them to work or sometimes even trying to come up with the excuse that we uh, don't have any. Not one of us who is a child of God has not been offered gifts that are meant to be used. In the particular list that Paul refers to here, He begins by mentioning prophesying, as he does elsewhere. And the root word from the Greek means to cause to shine. That is to enable God's truth to be revealed, for the scriptures to come alive, to bring light into darkness of revelation. And according to Paul, if you have that gift, then use it. Though he does say, according to the proportion of your faith. Without expanding too much on that, uh, today, and I might do that another time if you wish. But I think what he means here is that when one thinks God has, if you think that God has given you an insight or a revelation or a word or a vision or a picture, it needs to be shared with the spiritual leadership. Sometimes such revelations are for ourselves. Personally, often it's for the wider faith community. But whoever it is, whether it's for yourself or where it be for others, the scriptures exhort us to bring it to the leadership that they might pray and consider the message that there might be there for all of us before it needs to be tested and affirmed by the spiritual leadership. And I want to assure you here that the pastors here would just love to hear from those of you who have been gifted in such a way that God brings a message through you to us for us to consider and pray over together and share with the broader church. And then he mentions the gift of serving. Only everyone who had that gift would use it. What a difference it would make. Elsewhere it's called the gift of helps. You know, serving is the ability to help people with a cheerful and a joyful spirit such that people are blessed. Serving is the ability to help people with such, such cheer that, that people's lives are enriched. I'm sure we know some people like that. We just love to have them around. Because they're so eager to serve and to do it willingly and cheerfully so that everyone is helped and blessed by them. What a tremendous gift that is that needs to be exercised in many different ways. And if a person's gift is teaching, he says, let them teach. And teaches about it is imparting knowledge and uh, information and instruction to the mind that actually leads to action. However, however, too often we have narrowed teaching down to some kind of formal setting like a classroom or a pulpit. While it is much broader than that. And we all learn in many different kind of ways. For example, in Deuteronomy, it reminds us there how we are to teach our children. And, and it talks about doing it in everyday journey of life. As we walk along the road, as we sit down to, to eat within the home, as we rise in the morning, as we lie down in the evening. i on Friday, uh Fridays here at, um, at the centre down in the... Uh, underneath where we are here, where the, uh, um, the uh, men's shed uh, men meet. There's a group of men that come in specifically on Fridays because there's a group of 10 young lads from another part of Sydney. Kids, these are kids that have been in trouble at school. Most of them have been expelled. Uh, and kind of school doesn't do it for them at all and rather kind of difficult places. So they come and they spend all their day here with these men. While well, these men not only teach them new skills uh, on tools and so forth, as trying to give them a new way into the future. They invest themselves into their lives, into these kids as they speak to them and share with them and share Jesus when they get the opportunity. They are teaching them skills of life as well as skills of, of, of possible work for them in the future. I see it on Thursdays and Fridays in the play group. Young mums who come and work alongside their children, teaching them schools, play schools, teaching them other things as well, socialise with other kids and so forth. It's all teaching. And the way that we model to others and show people how to live life And maybe, maybe it'll be mentoring or coaching another. It may be leading a group. But friends, you don't have to ask permission from elsewhere if you see the, see the opportunity to speak into the life of another. The church hasn't given you the gift. We pastors haven't given you the gift. God has. And you need to find and seek the opportunities where God can use you to use the gifts he's given to you, to speak into the lives of others. Maybe a formal situation, more often than will be informal. And then there's the gift of encouragement. This is what Barnabas, Paul's earlier companion, was known for. Because he was known to to always found his arm around another's shoulder, encouraging them, comforting them, urging them on. What a marvellous gift that is to a church. It's one that we certainly need to be exercised, particularly amongst the negativity that we can so often hear. We need the words of encouragement and championing. Then there's the gift of giving, of contributing to the needs of others. This is not just about having the resources and the means, but the desire and the heart to give. If you have the ability, use it. And in fact, Paul says, let them give generously. The Greek word behind this actually means give with simplicity. In other words, without fanfare. Without drawing attention to yourself, just give the gift as unto God, and delight in the opportunity that it can be used by the hand of God. And then Paul mentions leadership here, and in this context, he's actually referring to the leading of meetings. From a word to mean to stand up before others, the different words in the scriptures for leaders. Paul says that such leadership is to be done with diligence. In other words, to be done thoughtfully, to be done prayerfully, to have thought things through in advance rather than just weaning things, to actually plan well. And then finally, Paul mentions the gift of showing mercy. Friends, my heart really warms when I see people within the church exercising this gift. You see, mercy is about helping those who may be undeserving or neglected by others, the disadvantaged, the marginalised, those on the fringe, the vulnerable, the unloved and the unlovely. I recall learning a hard lesson once when I attended a worship service where I became a little annoyed that with this lady on the side who kept talking throughout the whole service, particularly while the preacher was preaching, only to notice at the very end of the service that she was translating to a group of newly arrived Iraqis. I love to see how people care for those who are more disadvantaged than than themselves. And they do it with cheer. Now, there are many other gifts that are not mentioned here, as I I said earlier. But we are all called to contribute to the body. I don't usually use military metaphors, but F.B. Meyer, who was a great Bible teacher of probably a, a number of generations ago, Said this to a group of pastors, the language is a bit old, but makes the point. When he said it is urgently needful that the Christian people of our charge should come to understand that we are not a company of, of invalid to be wheeled about or fed by hand, corseted, nursed, and comforted, with the minister being the head physician and the nurse. But we are meant to be a garrison. In an enemy's country, every soul of which should have some post of duty at which or he or she should be prepared to make any sacrifice rather than quitting. Now that does not mean that sometimes we do need time to recover. There are times we need to renew. Sometimes we get injured in the battle. And sometimes we need to be part of rehab and we need to rest and we need to be nursed and need to be renewed. But the intention is that we do not remain permanently in that state, but that we actually return to the tasks that God's called us. To be effective as a church, to be effective as a faith community here, We need every part of the body to be functioning as healthy as it is able. And that can only happen if each one of us is making our proper contribution. There is no one here that is more important than another. And every one of us has got a contribution to make. And what Paul is encouraging us through this passage is for us to discover how God can use us because he's reminding us that God has given all you need to do what God has called you to do. And we can't do things on our own. We can only do it collectively. We can only do it together. Yes, there are times we may need to compensate for those who are doing it tough. And there are those who would need rest and we all need rest from time to time. We need to recuperate. We need to recover. We need to refresh and replenish. But if anyone chooses not to use their gifts that God is wanting to offer them, then we all suffer. Not just you. We all suffer because part of us is not working properly. Sometimes part of us needs to be helped up. We need to come alongside. But it is to help us to find health again. We can't blame the rest of the body if it's not functioning well, if we're not playing our part. Going back to my analogy of the team, We are part of God's team together. And while God can do amazing things through us as individuals, how much more can he do when we live and minister together? When we function as a body, as we function as a team, God's team together, what amazing things he can do. Let me pray. Father, I just thank you for the amazing things that you have done. For us that enable us to have confidence in you in what we can do together. Father, reveal to each of us what it is that you would say into our, and, and, and what you would have us to do to minister to one another. Father, we pray that we will be attentive to your spirit and help us, Father, to speak into each other's lives and encourage one another to discover the contribution that each can make to the other. Father, I pray that you'll be with us as we go forward together, that together we will achieve the purposes for which you have called us. In Jesus' name. Amen.